0: Good to be with you all this morning. You know, you can, uh, you can always tell when you get to the month of March who the real Amen men are, you know? <laughs> kind of goes, goes strong in the fall, cold months, you're here, get some warm coffee, but once it starts to get warm, then you can tell the faithful. So welcome, faithful brothers, uh, this morning. The passage this morning is in Philippians chapter 2. And you know, uh, preacher, uh, there's, there's really not that many good preacher jokes. Uh, you all probably know that, but you always give a courtesy laugh every time we pastors uh, tell a joke in the pulpit. So we, don't, we sometimes don't understand that there's probably only two or three good ones, because you're always so nice to us and laugh anyways. But I did youth ministry for most of my, uh, my ministry life, and uh, students are not as gracious as adults when it comes to laughing. So I learned how to be a little more, uh, um, uh, what's the word, discerning when it came to these. And I think there's about three really good uh, preacher jokes. And, and one of them is one I'm going to tell today. Some of you have heard me tell this before because I really love this one. Uh, and it fits perfectly with what we're looking at this morning. Uh, this guy was uh, discovered after, uh, after over a decade... Uh, on this deserted island, he had, he had gone sailing uh, across the Pacific and he had ended up uh, lost at sea. And there was no way to find him for 10 years. He had been missing over 10 years. And uh, finally, he, he was discovered and they sent a rescue party to go get him on this island. Completely deserted island. He had been by himself the whole time. And they get to the, they get to the island and they see him. He's so happy to see them. He welcomes them. And they notice that there are three shelters that he's built on this, on this little crest of the island, three uh, kind of house-looking shelters. And uh, as they're, they're packing up his stuff, getting him ready to, to be rescued, uh, one of the, the rescuers says, you have three houses up here. What, what, what are those three buildings? And uh, the guy who's being rescued says, well, uh, that right there, that first one, that's my house. And, uh, and then the next one right there, that's my church. And that third one is where I used to go to church. <laughs> and I think the reason that is such a great joke, and we do laugh uh, authentically, is because we can totally relate to the fact that uh, in our experience, both maybe personally and in, uh, in, uh, with others, there is this tendency that if things get a little tough in our church, even if it's just us, We can get easily dissatisfied and move on to another place. So here we are this morning. We're talking about the man and his church. And in uh, Sandy's construct of this series throughout this entire year, the focus has been this idea of for the brothers. What is it it as we as men need to know uh, as we walk faithfully with the Lord, as we walk in community? And this morning as we walk in church, last week David spoke so Uh, eloquently and encouragingly in regards to the man and his faith and what it meant for us uh, to be men who are serious about particularly the object of our faith the Lord Jesus Christ and this morning we're going to be looking at the man and his church and we're going to be looking at this passage in Philippians which if you had a chance to read it uh, in some ways seems a little odd because it's basically the description the travel uh, plans and the description of these two men Timothy, and Epaphroditus. It doesn't appear to have in this passage that we're looking at any teaching elements to it. There's no instructions necessarily for the Philippian church. So in order for us to really grasp what's happening here, I think we need to understand, first of all, what's the context of all this and why in the world does Paul just all of a sudden, because usually he does this kind of stuff at the end, why why does he start talking about these two men right in the middle of his teaching? You remember that uh, the Philippian church was a church that in many ways Paul was encouraged by. Most of his uh, comments to them were comments of just thankfulness for for what was going on there. And uh, and the reason, the occasion of his letters, that Epaphroditus had actually brought a gift from the Philippian church all the way to Rome where Paul was on house arrest. And, And he was bringing that gift on behalf of the church. And so certainly Paul was encouraged about that. But he probably heard from Epaphroditus that there was some conflict in the church. And the conflict seemed to be around um, certain groups of people kind of, maybe they didn't mean to, but they became kind of cliques or became kind of groups. And so now there were factions and there was some grumbling and complaining that was going on and, and maybe some unresolved conflict that was taking place. And so as a result of that, Paul picks up in verse 27 of chapter 1 this idea of, I want you to be of the same mind. I want you to have the same spirit. I don't want you to be in conflict with each other. And then he goes on in the beginning of chapter 2, and he, and he starts there, and he, he really dives in on that. and says, I want you to have, if, there's, if you have any connection in the body of Christ, any love for the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to have the same mind. And then he goes on and says, I want you to consider others better than yourselves. I want you to stop looking at your own interests, and I want you to look at interests of others. I want you to have the mind of Christ, Paul says, who, and the attitude of Christ. And then he goes on in that wonderful section in verses, uh, I guess, 3 through 11, where he says, listen, this is what Christ did. He didn't think equality with God was something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, and he took on the form of a servant. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross, and then tails off into this great exaltation of Christ, uh, talking about how he is seated at the right hand of God, and, and one day everyone, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and declare that Jesus Christ is lord. And then after that he says, so I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God that works in you. And then he continues on and says, so don't I want you to do everything without grumbling or complaining. I want you to shine as lights in a dark world. And it's right at that point that he turns over to Timothy and Epaphroditus. And there's a point to that. The point is, I think in his mind that Paul is thinking, you know what, I've given all this instruction, I've given the example of Christ, but I want you to see this worked out in real men. It's one of the things I love about God's Word. God's Word is not just a a religious book with religious teachings. It's actually the story of God's redemptive work in human history. And so being that, it has real people who, who have real struggles, I mean, when you read, you're going to see some amazing things about Timothy here that Paul says. But when you read uh, 1 and 2 Timothy, you see that Timothy struggles. He struggles with with being timid, with being a little little, uh, shy to, to, to go ahead and take leadership. You realize that he struggles with worry so much that he has some stomach problems. So he's a normal guy. He's a normal person. And I think it's so helpful that God's Word shows us that he is going to work through men like us, normal men, not superstars. But God is going to be the one that does this. And so we pick up in these verses this great uh, description of these two men. Beginning at verse 19, Paul writes this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you, longing for you all, and has been distressed because, he heard, because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Oh, what amazing words. And as we think this morning about what kind of men are needed in the church, uh, you see two quotes that I have there. One from Frank Nealman, who is a scholar, who said these two co-workers provide for us a tangible evidence that God is going to do things through just men like us, that he's going to actually work. It's it's possible to do what we're about to talk about. And then I love what Alistair Begg says when he talks about this passage, that these are the type of men that are to be in the church. These are examples for us. So let's look and see about these two guys what type of man should be in Christ's church. Number one, in verse 19, we're going to see, and there's eight things here. A man ready to be assigned any mission in the Lord a man ready to be assigned any mission in the Lord. Paul says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon. And actually that that phrase to send, he talks about it twice to Timothy, then he talks about it to Epaphroditus four times in our verses here, verses 19, 23, 25, and 28. And you know what's interesting here? It's all about availability. These men were available to God. They were ready to just be sent. They were standing by. And these guys, I mean, they had other things going on in their lives. But but their primary concern, their first concern was that they were ready at any moment to be sent on any mission that needed to happen. Ready and eager. So when Paul says to Timothy, I need you, Timothy, I need you to come to Rome, Timothy's there. When when Epaphroditus, is, when the Philippian church says, we need to get this gift to, the, to, uh, to Paul in Rome, Epaphroditus says, I'll do it. I'll be your guy. And Epaphroditus goes to Rome and Paul says, I want to send a letter back. And I think that probably the Philippian church was hoping that they could exchange uh, Epaphroditus for Timothy because Timothy was kind of Paul's right-hand man and they were having problems in their church. But, and I'm sure Timothy was ready to go, but Paul says, I don't know if I, I can lose Timothy right now. And Epaphroditus says, I'll go back. Send me. We're going to be the kind of men that we need to be in our churches. We need to be men who are ready to be sent on any mission. We need to be available. And you, you look there, it says, Paul says, I, I hope in the Lord. And uh, I, I think we could skip over that and think that it's just one of those phrases, like some people say, or we've learned to say, well, I'm planning to go on, you know, we're planning to go on vacation tomorrow for spring break, the Lord willing. And we've con- kind of come to mean that just as an extra thing that we say as, as Christians, when actually it's a really good thing to say and mean. <laughs> and what uh, Paul is saying here is not just trying to throw in some Christianese, just some special phrases. He's actually thinking, hey, I hope that this is what the Lord wants or that sending you back, to, sending him back to you is what's going to happen, but I don't know what God's going to do. Because you remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul had, a, he had a, every intention uh, to stay uh, over there and go to some other cities in Turkey, in Asia Minor. But remember, God wouldn't, wouldn't let them enter any anymore. And he said, no, no. And in a vision said, I want you to go to Macedonia. So Paul had a plan to go this way. And God says, no, no, that's not the plan I have right now. I need you to go this way. And I need you to take this action. That's what happens in Acts chapter 16. And Paul was an example of availability, of ready to be sent on any mission. And so when he saw that, he's like, all right. He didn't go, well, you know, I'm really the person for this area, Lord. So if you need us to go somewhere over there, I think we need to get somebody else to go over there because I'm really kind of, this is where I am. This is my call, you know. No, that's not the way he looked at it. Paul's like, my call is whatever God says is next. So if the Lord tells me, I need to leave Memphis, Tennessee, then I need to leave Memphis, Tennessee. I need to be ready to go. If my church says, hey, we need you to go do this over there, we need men in the church like Timothy, like Epaphroditus that say, I'm ready. What's the mission? I'll go. Second thing we see uh, in Timothy, in verse 20a, we see a man united in spirit with his fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. A man united in spirit with his fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Paul talks about Timothy, he says, I have no one like him. And he doesn't mean, uh, you know, like he's some perfect example that nobody else. He's basically saying, I don't have, the kind of connection I have with Timothy is so deep. He talks about it later in verse 22, as with a father, a father with a son. He says we're united in spirit. And this idea was really important. He wanted, Paul wanted to set up Timothy as an example because if you, you remember, if you turn back to the beginning of chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. And he's now sitting up, Timothy is an example of this is a guy who's in one mind with me. He's united in spirit with his fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, And that's what church is, brothers. That's what it means to be church. It's not the the, the institutions and structures provide us a context. And by God's grace, in most cases, our churches have, have beautiful buildings, you know, Nice fellowship halls. But that is not the church. What makes up the church is a a group of brothers and sisters united in spirit in the Lord. That's what makes up the church. And here Timothy is is put up as an example of that. And it's it's why it's so important, brothers, for us to make sure that in our churches we do not have any unreconciled relationships between ourselves and someone else in the church. That is so important. If there is anybody in your church with, in which you perceive there is some kind of outage, I commend to you today, fix that this week. Go to them. I had a great example of this. Two, two older ladies in our church, um, they may not appreciate me calling them older, but I'm not going to name them, So and they probably won't listen to this, so we're okay. Uh, they came up to me after the second service this past Sunday uh, I, had, I had preached both services in the morning, and they came up to me, uh, and they said, hey, we, we need to ask your forgiveness, Todd. And I thought real fast in my head, I don't remember them sinning against me. In fact, I don't even remember, I don't, I don't know how in the world, what, in what context we could have ever been together in which they offended me. And I said to them, I said, oh, I, I appreciate that. I, I don't think you've sinned against me. And they looked at me and said, oh, we have. <laughs> and i said all right and they said uh they said they said you know todd some some things have happened over the last few weeks uh, since sandy left and and uh, you and ron have been in charge and and uh and, and we didn't like him and we were real we were real we were real angry at uh, at you and at the leadership of the church and uh and we realized now it was because we didn't understand some things and, uh, and, and those things, have, we, we now understand. We now understand and we realize our anger and our bitterness was just wrong. And, and we, we should have been more gracious to you. And we, we want to ask your forgiveness. And of course, I, I forgave them. And I walked away thinking, oh, Lord, make me like those women. Make me like those women. I want to be someone who is united, who, who works hard to be united in spirit with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. So what do our churches need? What does your church need? Your church needs you and me to be men who are united in spirit, who, are, who don't have any unsettled, unreconciled relationships in our church. We get that done this, this week if you have any. Number three, what else does it need in the church? A, we need men, a man who puts the interest of others and of Christ above his own a man who puts the interests of others and of Christ above his own. Verse 20b and 21, Paul writes, he is genuinely, this is uh, talking about Timothy, genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all, and he just means other people who are not doing things like Timothy, they all seek their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. And of course, that's he's alluding, he's giving this this person, personified example in Timothy of what he had said in verses three through five of the letter of chapter two, where he said, "I want you to consider others better than yourselves. I want you to look at the example of Jesus, and I want you to be like that." And Timothy and Epaphroditus personified this. He's basically saying, "Here, a Look, you can do this because these guys do this." And you can be that kind of person who puts others' interests and the interests of Christ above your own. And you can see that in Epaphroditus and Timothy. They had interests. They had, you know, they had stuff to take care of. They had personal stuff. They're not superstars. Like I said, Timothy, guy was timid. He struggled to stand up and be a leader. He, he, he worried a lot. But he was, he was an example of a man who said, I'm going to put the interest of others and the interest of Christ above my own. I'm going to make that happen. You know, one of my favorite movies growing up was the movie Brian's Song. For those of you who are uh, younger in here, it's a story, story of Gale Sears, who was one of the greatest running backs in uh, NFL history, played for the Chicago Bears, um, very successful guy. His best friend on the team was the fullback, Brian Piccolo. And while Gale Sears uh, was rising in, uh, in, not just in popularity, but in success in the NFL, Brian Piccolo was struggling with cancer and eventually died. And it had a real impact on Gail Sears because he learned from Brian Piccolo what it meant to be a servant leader in the Lord. And Gail Sears was a believer, and he wrote a book later about his, his uh, experience um, with, uh, with Brian Piccolo. And the book's title was I Am Third, and that's where the movie Brian's Song came from. And that came from this idea. Gail Sears said, I learned in my life that I am third. It's God first, my family second, and I am third. And uh, what, a, what a phenomenal thing for someone with, with his success and uh, to say, that's, that's how I need to live. And basically what's happening here is Timothy is a guy who says, I am third. I am third. I'm not first. It's not about, hey, what I gotta get my time. You know, I, what about me? What about my needs? <laughs> He's saying, no, the Lord first, wherever he wants to send me, others second, and I am third. That's what our churches need, men like that. It goes on, uh, number four, a man who is faithful in the face of hardships, a man who is faithful in the face of hardships. Look at what it says in verse 22, I love these words, but you know Timothy's, And if you're an underliner, I mean, I underlined this in my Bible right away when I saw it. Timothy's proven worth. But you know Timothy's proven worth. And the idea there in the original language is this idea of of being faithful in the midst of hardships. Faithful when it gets difficult. You know, there's a lot of speculation about Amen Bible study. What would happen... When, when Sandy retires, when everybody knows that there's no chance Sandy's going to show up here. So for 20 years or however many years you guys have been doing this, that main teacher is not going to be here. And there's speculation that, well, you know, it's going to really drop off. It's really, you know. And I thought to myself, well, that, that wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense that it would drop off. Because I think the commitment of this group of men every Thursday morning has not been centered around Sandy Wilson, but has been centered around the Word of God. That that's why these men show up, that that's what you guys are doing week after week. There's no doubt that Sandy Wilson is a phenomenal teacher, one of of the greatest teachers any of us may experience in our lives. And what a blessing that is. But the commitment this morning has been to open up God's Word, to open up our notebooks, and to dive in and to really, and really uh, gain that spiritual wisdom that we may walk out of here and live lives that are worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought to myself, you know what? My gut tells me that they're still gonna be here the next week, and they're still gonna be here the next week, and they're still gonna be here the next week. And let me just say, brothers, as I stand here this morning, how, how personally encouraged, not as a pastor, not as a, 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 the leader at Second Presbyterian Church, but as a fellow brother, how your, your, your mere presence here strengthens my walk with Jesus because you're being faithful no matter what. You're faithful no matter what. And man, we need that in our churches, don't we? We need it in our churches. In every, every church that's represented in this room, we need, we need men in those churches who are faithful when they lose their senior pastor for whatever reason. We need, we need men who are faithful when there's conflicts in the church that, that are, might, may split the church apart. And rather than bail and go to the other churches down the street, that they would go, you know what? I'm going to be faithful right here and I'm going to ask God to help me be part of the solution. Or when our churches struggle with money. To be faithful and say, I'm going I'm to stick this out. I'm going to be part of the solution here. Part of moving these things forward. Timothy and Epaphroditus were men who were faithful. Timothy was a man of proven worth. Oh, that we would be men of proven worth in our lives. Well, it goes on now and switches to Epaphroditus. Beginning in verse 25, and I love this verse. This may be my favorite of the, of the whole section we're looking at this morning. Number five, we need a man of action. Our churches need men of action. Paul writes, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. Now let's just start about who, with who Epaphroditus was. He was just a dude in the church, all right? He wasn't some superstar. You're not going to find him anywhere else in Scripture. <laughs> he was just a guy who said, I will take the gift to Paul. And then he goes to Paul. He takes the gift. We'll find out a little bit more about that trip. And then when Paul says, I'm going to send you back with this letter, Epaphroditus says, I'm ready. Let's go. But Paul talks about him as this man of action. And he talks about him in, in these, these five significant ways, which I have to think because he... Epaphroditus, his name literally means belonging to Aphrodite. Like he was obviously born into a pagan family. And his literal name has to do with a false god. Belonging to Aphrodite. And yet, God's redemptive work has taken place in this man's life. And here you have the Apostle Paul... (laughs) Saying these things, it basically says, man, you don't belong to Epaphrodite. You belong to the Lord. Because this is who you are, Epaphroditus. And here, what does he say? He says these five things. First of all, he says he is a brother. He is a brother. Now, in in, in first century um, uh, Roman Empire times, the concept of, of seeing someone outside your family as brother was actually a completely new thing. It was only in the context of the Christian church that this was taking place. And certainly you see Paul using the term brothers and and family. But when he says about a specific person, brother, he is talking about this close connection. He is talking about someone who, who has walked with Paul, who has really cared for Paul, and Paul feels it. And so the care that Epaphroditus has brought has brought him this sense of this closeness that we really are family. Next, he says he's a fellow worker. He says to me, this guy labors with me. This guy's doing the same work that I'm doing, which had to be so encouraging for Epaphroditus." Here's the Apostle Paul saying, this guy is a fellow laborer with me. He's walking with me, walking alongside me. And it's work, it's work in the church, and we all know that. I know there's a, you know, there's this idea that, you know, well... If once we mention work in the church or work in your own personal life, then we're not relying on grace and we're not trusting God to do it. We just need to sit back and let God do it. That's not, that's not how you, sit, you do that and, and you've missed the point. Certainly it's God who works. But even in verse 12 of chapter 2, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The, the, Christian, the Christian life is work in the sense that God has given us work to do. And so he says about, about Epaphroditus, he is a, a fellow laborer, a fellow worker. And then he says next, he is a fellow soldier. And the idea here is that he, is, he has suffered with Paul and with other believers. And certainly has, he, you see here, he almost died on this trip. He, he, he's taken this long journey from, from Philippi to Rome, and he almost dies just on this mission. And Paul says, this guy is a fellow soldier, man. He will suffer with me. He will get in the trenches with me and he'll, he'll, he'll risk his own life for the sake of the gospel with me. He is a, a fellow soldier in the midst of that. And, Paul, and are saying, you know, you know, Paul in Ephesians chapter six talks about that spiritual battle. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities of darkness. And he keeps talking about the fact there is this spiritual battle and so, brothers, we need to be reminded that even the conflicts we experience in our church, in our lives, the struggle, there is, there is an enemy who wants to take you out. There is an enemy who wants to take the guy next to you, sitting next to you, right, wants to take him out. And we have to be soldiers together. We need to stand together in the battle. And you've heard it said that Christians, uh, Christian church is sometimes the, the only place where. Uh, where the soldiers shoot their wounded. <laughs> A guy gets taken out. Maybe he falls into sin. And, all, and, and, and temptation has, has overcome him. The evil one has, has won that battle. And we're like, well, I want nothing to do with that guy. In fact, let's, let's disassociate. No, that's when you jump in and say, come on, man. Let's repent. Let's, let's, uh, let's figure a way out of this. Let's figure a way for you to be back in the fellowship. And we are willing to, to, to suffer, to be in that place uh, where, where we might even get accused, even as we're trying to help a brother repent, we might even be accused by the one we're trying to, to help. But we're going to be fellow soldiers like Epaphroditus. And then he says, uh, fourthly, he's a messenger. And he really was. He was just bringing good news. He, was, he, was, he brought news from the Christian church in Philippi to Paul, which encouraged Paul. And now he's bringing this letter back to them, and it's encouraging them. Brothers, don't miss miss the importance of this. Being a messenger of God's good news is so so important. Now, I'm not just talking about being an evangelist, about sharing the gospel. I'm just talking about that moment when you take time to pick up the phone, send a text, write a short note. I'm not talking about a big, long conversation. I'm talking about three sentences. Hey, brother, I was praying for you. Hope you're doing okay today. This happened to me. What, it, by God's grace, it happens to me all the time. But this week, I got this note from a brother. It's about that long. It's about all of us as men can write in one letter, right? That's it. <laughs> My interaction with this guy was literally we sat at an Ash Wednesday service together. I slipped in right when the service had started so we couldn't talk. He looked over at me. He fist bumped me and says, good to see you. Then he sends me this note and said, sorry the visit was limited to a fist bump. (laughs) And then goes on to encourage me in the Lord. You know what this did for me? When I got this, I mean bolstered up in the Lord. This is a brother in Christ who is a messenger of God's good news in the context of his church. And he strengthened me by the words that were spoken. And like you see, there weren't many words, (laughs) but it was enough. Paphroditus was a messenger. And then finally, he was a minister. Certainly, he was the hands and feet of Jesus as he went about his role of of caring for Paul there. Number six, we need to to, to move on because I definitely want to get to these last three Number six, a man with deep compassion for the people in his church. A man with deep compassion for the people in his church. He talks about Epaphroditus and he says, for he has been longing for you all, which is a direct reflection to what he says about himself. Paul says about himself in verse 8 of chapter 1. He says, you know how I, I long for you with all the love of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's real compassion there. And it makes me think of 1 Corinthians 13. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, that passage about love, you remember the beginning of it says, you know, if I have, if I have all these gifts, if I have all these ministry gifts, and I'm doing all these things for the Lord, and, I, and, I, and I'm and I'm using all these fantastic gifts, I'm prophesying, I'm speaking, I'm doing all this stuff. And then Paul writes, and I have not love, then I'm just a big stinking noise that nobody wants to hear. <laughs> And then he goes on and talks about that whole thing. And that's, that's what Paul's pointing out here. Not only are these men are, they're not only just available. They're not just soldiers and messengers and all. But they are, they are men who love deeply. He talked about Timothy and he said to Timothy that, that uh, uh, what does it say in verse 20? Um, Genuinely concerned. So in our churches, what do we need? we need? Our churches need us to be men who truly have compassion for all the members of our church all the members even the one you're thinking of right now that you're going I can't No, not that one <laughs> no we got to start praying for them in fact that's what you need to do I, I the only way I know to change an attitude about someone is for you to put them on your prayer list every day so if you if you're like I just can't love that guy or I just can't love that woman or, I can't I can't Get them on your prayer list. Pray for them every day. Say, Lord, I'm going to pray for this. And you just start making that a regular part of your prayer. And the Lord will change your heart. But to have compassion, true compassion for everybody in our church. Going on, number, number seven. A man completely dedicated to the mission of the church. A man completely dedicated to the mission of the church. Verse 27 says, indeed, he was... Ill, near to death. Uh, And then he goes on, verse 30, he says, For he nearly died for the work of Christ. (laughs) So here's Epaphroditus. He was ready to go, right? And then he's going, he's traveling, and he's getting sick. And he doesn't go back, (laughs) he keeps going till he gets to Paul. Now, by God's grace, he was was granted life, but he was completely dedicated to the mission. He was going to stick it out no matter what. It goes back to his faithfulness. It goes back to his reliability. Paphroditus was going to be that man. And we can see different heroes in our lives that have been that way, completely dedicated to the mission, willing to go through no matter what. I I really love military stories. I love military history and history. so when you know any military movie that comes out, I'm 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 all over. And I, I actually, if there was a regret of my life, I really wish that before I had gone into pastoral ministry, that I had uh, that I had gone into the military. I really do. All, every time, every time I'm up in Annapolis, I'm walking around the Naval Academy. I'm like, oh, why didn't somebody tell me this existed? <laughs> every time I see uh, uh, a soldier honored in any context, I think, man, I wish I I wish I could be. I wish I could have done that. I wish I had chosen to to do that. Um, Now I'm too old. They won't won't take me. Um, I love that. So when Hacksaw Ridge came out, because of any any movie uh, that has to do with military history, I wanted to see it. So just the other day, I saw the movie Hacksaw Ridge with my my son. We sat down and watched it together. And if you haven't seen this movie, you need to go see it. Phenomenal movie. It's the story of Desmond Doss, who is a conscientious objector, during uh, World War II, but thought he should serve. So he didn't, because of his uh, uh, 7 Day Adventist beliefs. He didn't think that he ever should even touch a gun. But he, but he also thought, I still need to serve my country in some way. And uh, and I, don't worry, I'm not ruining the movie for you, because um, it's already a story that's been written. So he uh, he goes into. Uh, he goes into the military and there's all this very interesting stuff his experience and his training. And he ends up being allowed to do this, to be a medic. And, uh, and he ends up in Okinawa on this, with this group. And, uh, and the Battle of Okinawa was just a, a horrendous battle. Um, so many American lives lost. So many Japanese lives lost. I mean, It was just a, it was just a killing field. And there is this one ridge, and I can't remember the historical name of the ridge, where they had to go up and go over it, and they had to fight the battle there. And so his, his group his, uh, was going to fight that battle. And, it, and it, the whole thing just went to garbage when they went up there, just disaster. But he goes on to save 75 men, 75 wounded men. He runs into the fire, into the shooting, grabs these men, carries them, drags them, whatever, and takes them to the edge of the ridge and then lowers them down. He's figured out this rope system until his hands were just shredded. And he does this for, you know, I think it was 36 hours, just keeps doing this. No sleep. And there's this, and I don't know if this really happened in his uh, true experience, but in the movie, as he's going to get these men and lower them down he keeps, at the end, the only thing he can say, because he's so tired, he's so worn out, his hands are, are bleeding, and, he, and, and every time he gets to and lowers one down, he just says this, Lord, give me strength to save one more. That's all he can say. Give me strength to save one more. And then he turns, and he goes back into the battle. And he finds one, brings him over, ties him up, lowers him down, and then says, Lord, give me strength to save one more. And I was watching this, I just, I mean, my emotions welling up, tears coming to my eyes, and I thought, that is the mission of men in the church. (laughs) Lord, give me strength to save one more. One of the other things that blessings about being in a room like this is that some of you, some of you are are in your 80s. Late 70s, and I look at you and you're my Calebs. Caleb in the book of Joshua, who at 80 years old was told, hey, you've been a warrior for us, you're doing good, it's great, you know, I appreciate that, but, and you know, you need to rest, Caleb. You've, you've earned the right when we go into the promised land to have this nice area where you don't have to do any battle. Like, retire here, Caleb, in a good spot, because, man, you have been the hero for so long. And what does Caleb say? Caleb says, no, 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 no. I don't want that. I want that hill country where the giants live. Because the Lord promised me that. That's what he said. The Lord promised me that. And then he goes on to say, and I'm just as strong as I was 40 years ago. And he doesn't mean physical strength. I don't think he means that. I think he truly, because he's not just, you know, crazy. He means my strength in the Lord is just as strong as it was 40 years ago. Now, That's what God promised me. I want to fight that battle. Some of you in here, you're my Caleb. I look at you and I watch you and I say, Lord, let me be completely dedicated to the mission 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now like those men are. That's what Epaphroditus was, completely dedicated to the mission of the church. And then uh, number eight, a man worthy of honor. Man worthy of honor. Paul says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Think about that now. Epaphroditus was just a dude in a church. Right? And the Apostle Paul is saying, now I want you to honor these men. I want you to honor these men. What an amazing thing for Epaphroditus to hear, I need to be honored. And he wasn't looking for honor. He was just serving the Lord. And in serving the Lord, it brought honor. Every time I think about that, I think about my uh, junior high Sunday school teacher, my, my middle school Sunday school teacher. In sixth grade, uh, I lived up in the, in the Chicago area. And I went to a, a church that was, um, my family was at a church, as a church plant. So we met in a community center for a little while, then we met in a school. My junior high, my, my junior high Sunday school class when I was in sixth grade had four, four of us in it, four. My junior high Sunday school teacher was just a dude in the church, right? He's just a guy that says, I'll do it. This guy didn't know how to teach junior high at all. I'm telling you, not at all. And every week I could tell he was just trying to figure out how to bring God's word. And he was gonna bring us God's word, trying to figure out how to, how to engage us. I also knew that this guy had a, had a job that carried him into the, into the city of Chicago. We were out in the suburbs. I knew that this guy had to, had to leave at like 6 a.m. to take the commute in, and then he'd come back uh, come back uh, late in the evening, and I knew um, you know, that, that he worked really hard. I also knew that this guy um, not only taught our junior high Sunday school class, but he actually came early every Sunday morning to set up the community center, to set up the school. Like he volunteered to be the guy that would come before everybody else and he would, you know, move the foosball tables and the pool tables and he would take and set up the chairs to create our little sanctuary there. And he would uh, he would bring his sons along with him to, uh, to do that. He's 75 now, and if you go to... Uh, to look out Mountain Presbyterian Church, you'll probably run into him. Because he's still this dude in the church who's saying, Hey, I'll, I'll do it. You'll run into him because he's the guy who's probably going to be handing you the, your bulletin and, and helping you find a seat on Sunday morning in the church. And he'll be there with the smile and he'll be excited to be able to serve you in that way. This guy happens to be my father. He's just a physical therapist. Never had any ministry training. Never had any theological training. But I tell you, I, I love the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because of that man. Because I watched him love the church to which he belonged. And some of the churches to which he belonged were messy. And he still was like... I'll do it. What can I do? And here's a guy that was only—he only had two days a week to sleep in, right? He would get up at sometimes four thirty in the morning just to make the train into Chicago. But it was his joy to get up at six a.m. on Sunday morning and to go set up a community center because he loved his church. And he loved the Lord Jesus, and he loved those people. And I'm sure he felt insecure every single time he taught that junior high Sunday school class, especially because his bratty son was in there. (laughs) But we needed a junior high Sunday school teacher. So he did it. You know what that? That man and men like him are worthy of honor in the church. There's men like him all over the history of the church, the 2,000-year history, who've probably had way more impact than any Todd Erickson, any Sandy Wilson, any preacher anywhere because of their faithful service in the Lord, because they were men like Timothy, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And let me just say this as we close. You, you, you hear that, you hear these things, you look at these things, and you're like, oh, how do we? how is that... How can I be this guy? How in the world am I going to be this kind of guy? Where's the the grace? Because I'm just feeling overwhelmed, Todd. I'm I'm just trying to make it to work and trying to get my own stuff together. How could I possibly be these eight things? Well, Paul talks about that all the time, and he talks about it in probably the most famous verse of Philippians. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now in the context, he's talking about being content with whatever wealth or lack of wealth God gives you. But he picks up that point in so many of his letters. Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, he prays, may you be strengthened, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might that you might have endurance, that you might have patience with great joy. And that strength that he talks about in verse, uh, verse uh, 13 of chapter 4, that strength that he talks about in Colossians 1.11, he says in Ephesians chapter 1, that's the same exact strength that was in Christ Jesus when he went to Gethsemane, to the cross, and raised Jesus from the dead. Don't miss this, brothers, as you walk out today. If your life is hidden in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside you, the exact same strength that took Jesus to the cross and raised him from the dead is in you. Is in you. And he will be the one as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, as you go about your work, he will be the one who will internally strengthen you for every good work he has for you. That's good news. That's good news for our churches. Let me pray. Father, thank you and praise you for the, just the beauty and the, the richness of your word. Lord, to sink deep into these verses about these two guys and to see that this is your living and active word, that these, these aren't wasted verses. These aren't just some piece of a letter. Father, thank you for that, the blessing of that. And thank you for these moments here on Thursday morning and the faithfulness of these men. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity for us to sit under and around your word and to be changed by it. And Lord, we ask that you would seal the words uh, of your word to our hearts. Seal these words from your word to our hearts. Father, let let them sink deep. And Father, help us, give us understanding that we might apply this spiritual wisdom as we walk out these doors today. Help us, Father, to be these kind of men in your church.